when you are instructed and you understand the instructions. And some instructions are not intended to be written out on paper. Sometimes your time with the Lord will lead you to understanding that when he says something, there's something else attached to it. And that attachment is based on your time with him. So he'll say something, but that thing that he's instructing you to do has another connection to it that the only way you're going to understand the rest of it is if you are in relationship with him. So relationship gives you more of an understanding of what's being given. Because if there's no relationship, all you'll hear is, let's walk together. You won't understand walking together means let's eat together. So you'll get so caught up in the walking together that you don't realize that the eating together was attached to the walking together. So you're not relational. You are more religious driven because you want to impress God with the walk. And he's telling you, when I say I want to walk with you, it's not just a walk. It's a relationship that I want to now dine with you. I want to get to a place where if I tell you let's go, it's not let's just go outside, but rather let's go and on a mission for others. But sometimes, because of our lack of relationship, we'll only hear the first part. We'll only understand the portion that benefits us because we say we were obedient. I'm being obedient. He just said, let's walk. And so we'll hold on to the walk as the relationship. And God wants more than just to walk with us. He wants to dine with us. He wants to make sure that we receive provision. Provision? Provision means professional vision. Amen. I was waiting for somebody to catch that because provision is to see professionally, to understand that God will provide beyond your sight. His provision is not just what you can count. His provision goes beyond the five bread and the two fish. But the power of sonship is what I want to touch on today. We always talk about the father's love, and that's, that's wonderful. We talk about the father coming to us, right, and providing for us. But I want to take the son's perspective today. In the son's perspective, it's a little different because even when you hear the story of Abraham and Isaac, you don't realize that that story is more about a son than a father. We get captured with the father's sacrifice. We get caught up with the father's faith, but we don't realize that there's a son here laying down. <laughs> so we say Abraham is the father of faith, but then we got to say Isaac is a son of faith. Because Isaac was a grown man. 
And he was grown enough to be able to say, get these things off me. He was grown enough to say, I don't want to lay down, dad. He was grown enough to say, what, that, what is that knife? What are you about to do? He was even grown enough to be able to deal with the situation afterwards because there may be a little bit of trauma after you see your father trying to take you out. But because of the faith of a son, the storyline makes sense. You can't speak of the faith of a father in a scenario like that without speaking of the faith of a son. For a son requires faith, obedience, but we have different kinds of sons. And, and when I say sons, folks, I'm talking about daughters as well. All right, so let me, let me just gender friendly, male and female. Every time I speak of a son, when it comes to the word, I'm speaking of a daughter. I want you to know that. Why? Because you also are in the area of inheritance. I love the fact that the word, even when we talk about Old Testament, looking at areas of inheritance, I love the fact that there were women in the word that understood inheritance. And even when... <laughs> Even when it came down to them losing their father, they said, hold on a second. We still have our inheritance. And they fought for their inheritance because, again, it's not about just being a male because we are all children of the Most High God. Today we're going to delve into the fascinating story of 2 Kings and the relationship between Elijah, Elisha, and all those around them. And in this, I'm going to break down five different areas of sonship. It's pretty interesting, right? Because not all sons are good sons. Not all daughters are good daughters. But do they get to go to the table? Not all of them will do the right thing. Not all of them really want to do the right thing. Some will go. They'll be wayward. But does that mean that their name gets erased from the seat? Elijah and Elijah. We find this combination between Elijah and Elisha interesting because Elijah went and sought out Elisha while he was working a field. Elisha had 12 teams of oxen. So he was doing his work, and here comes Elijah interrupting Elisha and saying, just leave all that and follow me. He takes a cloak and throws it over him. By the way, I know you've seen people do that. They, you know, people have taken off their cloaks and their jackets and tossed it over people. That's where they get it from. That's where it came from. So he tosses it over him, letting him know now is your time to leave what you're doing and follow me. So he don't, does that and now Elisha is going, hold on a second. Because this is what happens to us when God taps us on the shoulder. We start thinking about the things we need to do beforehand. Oh, I got to put my house in order. I got to make sure this is right. I got to say goodbye. When Elisha told Elijah, I got to say goodbye to my parents. Elijah 
turned around and said, all right, and started walking away. He walked away because he said the mandate on your life was not to say goodbye, but to follow. But what, again, we understand the human side to that. Elisha decides to kill off all of his oxen. He did the right thing. He, he gave it all to the people. But what he almost missed out on was an opportunity that God has given. There are windows that God gives to us that we need to pay attention to. Those of you who are visitors here for the first time, I see a few. I'm letting you know that you are here because God called you to be here. You happened to listen to the call. You thought it was the other person who told you, but it wasn't them. It was God. God uses people for people. And he, I said this earlier, he doesn't need to have the rocks cry out because he has people to do so. So that statement of the rocks will do it, it's not going to happen because we have people. Everyone is going to be a part of everyone's walk. No person is an island in the kingdom. Now, we see that take place. Elijah now follows, Elijah follows Elijah. So we're going to start off with 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. I'm sorry, 2 Kings. Did I say 1 Kings? Actually, no. I did start off with 1 Kings. Let's go with 1 Kings first. 1 Kings 19. Because this is where I want you to see the mantle being thrown over. The obedient son. Let's talk about the obedient son. Obedient son doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the right thing. It means that you're trying to do the right thing. Because sometimes if you misunderstand the instructions and you're obedient to that, those instructions that you don't understand, you're being obedient to what you don't know and understand. When Ahab, Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, everything, Elijah. Is that the one? Yeah, that's not it. Thank you. You know, you got to know the word. If not, you get caught out there. All right, here we go. It's not there yet. All right. Elijah cast his mantle upon Elijah, symbolizing the transfer of spiritual authority. Elijah's response exemplifies an obedient son. However, even though he left everything, he left it at a timing of his convenience. Sometimes we got to set things right that's good for us before we make a move. But what I like about Elisha is that as we enter into 2 Kings, we find something else. That there's a process of growth that takes place as you walk with. You're not the same person you were years ago. And, and this is going to be important for people who are in relationship. You got to know that the person you met 10 years ago is 10 years ago person. What we like to do, because it's easy to put it in a file, we like to surface the 10-year-ago person to today. So if you had a nickname that was 10 years ago, the nickname, you want to tell me my nickname? No. <laughs> my wife is saying, go ahead, tell him, tell him. <laughs> Just, so I'll give an example. So in my college fraternity, people knew me from back 33 years ago 
33 years ago, they called me Iz. And Iz was not, mm, he wasn't all right. So people that I have not met or have been walking, I haven't walked with them for those years, meet me and they think I'm still Iz. What's up, Iz? Yo, how you doing, man? And so their expectation of what I'm going to say is is from back then and not who I am today. So I come on and go, man, bless you, man. Nah, stop playing, stop playing this. Some of them found out I was a pastor. And to them, they were like, that's not possible. There's no way the is I knew, again, we're talking about not just arrested development, but also arrested thought process. Because they think that I am who that person was, and their approach to me is based on that. And what happens? They find out who I am today, and they're now shell-shocked, culture-shocked, everything-shocked. They can't believe that this is me. My job is not to get them to feel a way that I'm superior to them, but help them to understand that we are still here. It's just that I took this journey and I decided to make this my lifestyle. I understand your lifestyle, but if you sit down with me long enough, we won't just be walking, we'll be eating at the table. And see, eating at the table, you get to find out people's habits. That's why I know Jesus loved, let's go to the table. You find out if they are eager to eat before everybody else. You find out if they're patient. Don't think that some of these business people want to go out to eat with you just because. They get to observe your habits in the process. They get to see what you do and how you react when things don't go right. What's your reaction when you burn your mouth or when you say something out of line? You get to find out how patient the person is. How aggressive they are. So what happens? Elisha and Elisha walk with each other. And in that walk with each other, there's, there's something that gets found out. Elijah is a man of power, and he's, he's been exposed. And I don't want to go further back to the beginning of Elijah, right? Beginning of when he, he pops on the scene. But I'll tell you this much about Elijah. He will call down fire from heaven, but get a letter from Jezebel and run, to the, run into the cave and want to commit suicide. Oh, yeah, that's right. This powerful, this powerful man of God who called fire from heaven, Told God, listen, man, she just wrote me a letter. Jezebel just wrote me a letter, and I want to take myself out. Just take me out. He became suicidal because his identity was compromised. When you know that you are royalty and that you are given authority and power, it doesn't matter what place you are placed in, whether you're under a bridge or in a mansion whether you're in a place where things are, are, are scarce or whether you're in a place where there's abundance, you remain consistent. Hmm. Elijah, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 2. 
this is where, I, right, let's go there. Let's start it there. 2 Kings chapter 2. And here we're going to find a, uh, an Elisha that as a son doesn't take no for an answer. Look what it says here, 2 Kings chapter 2. Verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. What were they doing? So they were walking what? Together from Gilgal. They walked together, and in the process, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. So the Lord told me to go to the house of God, but you stay here. Elisha knew who he was walking with. When you know who you're walking with, the honor is automatic. You don't have to try to be honorable. You are honorable, and you don't confuse honor with man worship. Because when you honor someone, this generation doesn't understand honor, so they think that honoring is man worship. Oh, that's it's not. Because in this case, what does he tell him? He says, as sure as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave your side. In other words, he disobeyed him. Now, we can get caught up legally in his disobedience or identify with the fact that he sees something that no one else sees. He said, I'll never leave your side. The group of prophets. Now, you'll always get a group of people that will always try to downplay you. When you make a decision, but when you're steadfast in your assignment with God, you don't care what other people say. These guys were obviously top in their, in their, in their endeavors. They were prophets and these prophets made it clear. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elijah and asked, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? He said, of course I know, but be quiet about it. That's, that's the nice way of saying You know what he told him? Shut up. Because we, we, we read this, we don't realize he's really being adamant about this. How, how is it that you're going to tell me I'm walking with him? Don't tell me what you think you know. I'm walking with him. So I know what you know. And if you want to just show me that you know something, okay, amen. But I'm telling you to shut up because I don't, I don't even want to hear it. And then, then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, because now they keep walking. Stay here, for the Lord has told me now to go to Jericho. So from the house of God to a place of deterrent, a place of stop right there, a place of I don't want you to go past this point. Jericho represents a wall. And sometimes after the house of God, you end up in a place where the wall is present. And at that point, he could have said, okay, this is number two. The second time the man of God tells him, stay here, don't follow me. I don't want you to continue with me. What does he say? As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will never leave you. Well, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, that's a, that's a very powerful statement to make. That means don't even say it again because I'm going to be there for you and with you. So they go to, together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets again, the peanut gallery. They show up again. And the peanut gallery says again, 
The same thing. Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Now, these are two different peanut galleries, by the way. Right? They're not the same one. It's another group. Because there were different groups of prophets. And there were schools of prophets. He said, of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elisha said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan. Mm. The Jordan River. The Jordan River always means a crossing over. The Jordan River always means we've arrived. The Jordan River always means there's about to be something exchanged. So they go. But here again, we find the same, another group of prophets. And they watched from a distance. And they saw Elisha and Elisha, how they stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it, dividing it into two. And the two of them went across on dry ground. Now, understand this. There are a group of prophets seeing this. They're watching this whole thing unfold. Why is that important? Because of what I'm going to talk about very soon. Remember, sonship means that you are walking with, but there are other sons that only watch from afar and want the same thing you get. They watch from afar and they want to be able to say, yeah, me too, I'm down with that, but they're not. They are watchers. They didn't move with him. Of course, the same thing is mentioned again, but remember, this particular group gets to see what's going on. Now, what I find interesting is that in this process, there's something about the successor that they're watching. They're watching Elijah give to Elisha. They're watching a transaction. But what does Elisha say when Elijah's being taken away? This is how you know the concept of a father is not just by biological means. Because biologically, Elijah was not the father of Elisha. He wasn't his biological father. But there was a transaction that was taking place. And birth was being given to a prophet by way of a prophet saying, you are the successor. I am being removed, but you are going to remain. Therefore, I remain. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elijah, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. That's the request. Before, before God takes me away, what can I do for you? And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit, a double portion of your spirit, and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing. You, if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. In other words, if we're not still walking together. If we're still not moving together, what are you expecting? How are you expecting to receive of the anointing if you stopped walking with me at the very end when it counts? But if you stay with me, what I have, you will have, and you ask for a double portion, which organically you will receive because you will be better but not greater. Because better means... That you're doing double portion, but not greater. That's why Jesus in John 14 said, 
you will do bigger things than I have done because I'm leaving to be with the Father. So we are supposed to be doing the Elisha thing to Elijah. What Elijah was to Elisha, Jesus is to us. The church is supposed to move in power. The problem is that we're so caught up with logic. And we want everything to logically make sense. I told somebody the other day, I said, listen, understand something. The minute you can describe a miracle, the minute you can break down a miracle, it's not a miracle anymore. Remove it from the miracle list. The moment you understand it, the moment you can explain it, the moment you, you find out the math of it, it is no longer a miracle. So what happens to these schools of prophets? By the way, Elisha did or she, he, she achieved it. He got the double portion. Power was given to him. Elijah was no longer there. But when I tell you that people pay attention, people pay attention. Everybody say people pay attention. And they're watching you. In your walk with God, they're watching your transaction. They're watching your character. That's a big one. You may have a brand new everything, but if you don't have a brand new inside, they still see you the same way. What's up, Iz? Could you imagine if I responded the way I responded 33 years ago? What a problem that would have been. There are things that, that, that I cannot participate in, not because I don't love them, it's because I love him. And God has transformed me where it's not a matter of me thinking about it going, oh my God.
That's our today, modern day, I swear to God. As surely the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So it looks like Gehazi's doing the right thing, right? I'm going to make sure that no one does this to my spiritual father. So Gehazi set off after Naaman. When Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right, Naaman? Yes, Gehazi, but my master has sent me to tell you, there we go, thank you, Jesus, tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like 75 pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, now understand this whole story with Naaman. Naaman was just blessed by Elijah. He had gotten baptized pretty much. He went into the water seven times. He had leprosy. And when he came out the seventh time, he was clean and free. So this wasn't about money for Elijah. But Gehazi said, come on, man, charge him. You got to charge him for that. Gehazi was like, there's got to be a money exchange. So he went on his own. But when they arrived at the citadel, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back. Then he went and hid the gifts inside the house. Verse 25. When he went into his master, when he went to his master Elisha, he asked him, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Because sometimes when you, when you hang with a man of God or a woman of God, God will give him some discernment. Everybody say discernment. It's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. It's the one that's least asked for, but the one that's the most needed. I haven't been anywhere, he replied. But Elisha asked him, don't you realize that I was there in the Spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle and male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. In other words, how do you think it's okay if the man of God didn't charge, why are you charging? But there are those that are following that their desire is that. Next one. This one I love the most. Because there are a lot of these. And here's the good news. If you're any of these bad ones, you can turn into a good one. That's, good. That's the good news. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. King Jehoash, he heard the story because there are people that will hear the story of the flow. Right? They'll hear the story of whatever church. They'll hear about it. They won't know about it because they're not there, but they'll hear about it. And then they'll come to their own conclusions of what's really there. So King Jehoash heard about Elisha and how Elisha received. One of the things that Elijah, Elisha did when Elijah was taken away, he said, my father, my father. Recognition of a spiritual father. He acknowledged him as he went off. When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. So that's nice, right? That's a nice thing. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, he cried. 
wait a second. Why are you telling that to Elisha? When that's not happening at the moment. What was the purpose of King Jehoash telling Elisha in his last days, my king, oh, oh, my father, my father. Can anybody guess why? He wanted the same anointing that Elisha got. So he figured that this is going to be based on repetition. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, some of us haven't realized that being a son doesn't require you having to memorize and repeat. Sometimes that means you got to receive something new from God because God gives something new. It's not that it's, not, it's bad. It's that you got to graduate. You know, you tell the children, repeat after me, our Father who art in heaven. That's okay because you're training them. But if that's still your go-to in prayer as an intercessor, because now you're depending on the power of the repetition and not the power of the one who wrote it, the one who gave it. And so unfortunately, you don't end up receiving what you're going to receive. So watch what happens here. This is such an interesting story. Look at this. It says here, Elisha told them, because, you know, it's almost like Elisha didn't even, didn't even acknowledge what he just said. Yeah, whatever, I know, I know what you're doing. My father, my father, I know what you're doing. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. He was like, yes, he's telling me to do something. Give me instructions. Kind of like what Elisha did to Elisha. All right, let me go grab them things. And he went and he got them. But this is, how you, this, this is what happens when you're not in relationship and you're only walking with. Get a bow and some arrows, and the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window, and he opened it. So he opened the eastern window. Then he said, shoot, so he shot an arrow. So this guy is excited now. He's telling me to do things. I'm going to do this thing here. He's doing everything. What does that mean when someone does everything they're told? What are they being? Obedient. Obedience without revelation is a disaster. You can be obedient and be obedient without understanding and not knowing what to do. You can be destroying the very thing you're supposed to create. Who's with me so far? Is this okay? Am I okay? We doing good? All right. So watch this. Says here. So he opened up the eastern window. He did what he said. He, he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. When you go with what you know, You'll do what you do based on what you know, not based on relationship. Because usually if you're a baseball player, how many times you strike? How many outs? Three strikes, three outs. So in your mind, everything is. So you're going to. He didn't give a number. When you're in relationship, you don't need to be given the number. You know what that number is. Ah, you didn't hear me. Look what he says. 
So the king picked them up and struck the ground. How many times? Three times. But the man of God was angry with him. Now, why are you angry? He's been obedient. He followed everything. He got the arrow, the bow. He opened up the eastern window. He tossed it out. He did everything you told him. Why are you mad at him? He tells him, you should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you'll be victorious only three times. Wow. So this son, because he, he acknowledged him as a father, this son did not have relationship with. And not having relationship makes you assume that it's three times when it should have been more times. Relationship lets you know the heart of the father. You, and mind you, you can't expect the father. Look what happened with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah to Elisha. He kept telling him, get away from me. See him, see him, follow me, follow me. Come with your translation, yeah, amen. Watch this. He's trying to tell him, I want to be with you. Look what Elijah did. Follow me. Stay here. Stop bothering me. Stop calling me. Are you not listening to me? Didn't I tell you over there to stop calling me? To leave me alone? But he knows what I carry. And he understands the voice of God. And sometimes offense will prevent you from crossing the fence. Did you hear? And you get so offended, you don't, you don't cross over to get yours. Because he could have been, let's go over there, over there, again. He could have gotten offended here. Stop. Leave me alone. Stop bothering me. Seriously? Didn't I tell you, you know what? Every time I see your number, I'm not going to even answer. Where is he? He's still there because he understands that as a son and an inheritor, I am not going to miss out on that connection. And it has to be relationship. You know why? Because if there's no relationship, the offense would have started over there. In relationship, we can offend each other, still love each other. I'm offended. I love you. We're, it's okay. We're in relationship. It doesn't make a difference. Amen. That was good. But look at the anointing that Elisha carried. Look at the reason why even the king Jehoash was so eager to make sure that he did everything right. He was so eager. He was, listen, you tell me to touch my nose and hop on one foot. I'm doing it because you're telling me to do it. But he didn't understand in full because he wasn't in relationship with him. He just visited him that one time and thought he was going to get the blessings of a lifetime. 
You'll come one time, talking about, you know, I'm going to do everything this one time and think that you're going to get. Are you hearing me? So, so this area lets you know how much anointing, how much anointing Elisha carried. You could be so anointed that even after you have no palpitation in your heart, no blood flowing, still, I don't know you, but I love you. Woo, Jesus. Look at this. It says here, then Elisha died and was buried. Everybody say died and buried. So you're not just dead. You're buried. That means that there's now bones. You're buried. You're dead and you're buried. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Then once when some Israelites were burying a man. They spied a band of these raiders, so they hastily threw the corpse, the dead body, the dead corpse, dead man, into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Is it possible that in this season, on that which we think is dead... That we right now have access to come to life. No matter what everyone said, we're about to enter a new stage in this church where those who are watching are saying, oh, these guys are dead. Y'all are dead. Y'all, but the anointing in the bones is going to cause. Can you imagine that? That whole scene just. Freaks me out, right? A dead man on dead bones pops up out because a dead thing is dead for us, but alive for God. Those bones were anointed with life. And that's the reason why that dead body hit the bones. And mind you, this particular miracle was part of the double portion he asked for. Y'all didn't understand. So he asked the double portion. When you ask for a double portion, it's still powerful beyond your end. So he was able to give. And this is what we want to do in this church. We want to be able to think beyond the grave. What's the next generation going to receive? What happens when they hit a dead place that people think were dead, right? Bones and all, but have anointing. What happens when the church realizes that they have been selected to complete the answered prayers of other generations? What happens when a church has been identified to be able to answer the prayers and understand something, guys? Prayers have no expiration date. That means that there are people in your generation, generations before.
for generations who have been praying by way of your bloodline. That means that prayer is waiting for the right host. No, it's in the word. It's in the word because some of you prove that in the word. I'm proving the word. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, this prayer is not just for the ones you gave me right now, but for those who would become my disciples in the future. That prayer is still looking for launching, launching pads, landing pads. That prayer is like helicopters on top of landing, landing pads. That means the most perfect prayer ever prayed by man, by a human being, human lips was Jesus' prayer. What can stop Jesus' prayer? Not principalities, not authorities. So I, Every now and again, I'll do this, and I invite you to do the same. I'll say, Lord, that prayer you prayed for me. I'm not going to pray nothing else, Lord. I just want, I want that prayer. I want, I want that prayer right there. And if you do that, believing, you will receive of the prayer of the Son of the Most High God from the Garden of Gethsemane during his time of suffering. Which, by the way, everyone was sleeping, only he was awake. I always wondered how in the world did John know what he said verbatim? When they were all sleeping. And somehow his spirit registered like a, one of those judge, uh, the court, what do they call him? That person. And he caught everything verbatim. The only time there's anything registered during that moment, he heard Jesus' prayer. Somebody say access. Somebody say access again. Please stand. Sons of the mantle, faithful sons, lost sons, last minute sons, obedience based on repetition. But I did it, Lord, I did it, I did it, I did it. I know you did it. God, is, God says, I know you did it. But you didn't understand what I was saying. The two men that walked with Jesus to a mouse, mouse, they walked with Jesus, didn't know who he was. They walked with him until they got to the house. And what's beautiful is that Jesus didn't force himself in the house. He was going to keep on walking. And they said, please come into the house. Stay with us. And it wasn't until relationship took place at the table. It was that at the table moment that they were able to know who was with them. Jesus broke the bread typifying the breaking of his body. And no longer did they just hear a conversation. They knew who walked with them. 
Are you in relationship with God? And if you are, then you'll be good in relationship with others. Because everything the Lord requests in the realms of relationship, you're going to want to do it naturally, organically. That includes forgiveness. That'll be the theme while you're in the flow forever. We will talk about forgiveness to the end. Why? Because forgiveness is at the core of Christianity. You can't deviate from this when this is everything that we're about. Everything that has to do with Christianity is about forgiveness, repentance. And so what happens? Our desire to seek God requires, Lord, I want to walk. And your pain cannot be the obstacle. If anything, let your pain draw you closer. I can't handle this on my own, Lord. I need you. Doesn't matter how strong you think you are. At the end of the day, you've got to be able to turn to your creator and say, without you, I'm nothing. I can't do this without you.